0: Well, I invite you to turn with me to, Mar, uh, excuse me, to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter one, will be our text this Lord's Day, verses eighteen through twenty-five. And uh, as you turn there, you may have noticed in our lobby uh, table set up, um, we have some folks who have put together a Bloomfield Baptist Church cookbook. Now, this makes a great Christmas gift, as I told them. It's the gift that keeps on giving. So um, if you want to pick one of these up today, they're $20 each. Uh, the proceeds from this go towards our transportation fund. Many of you know that uh, we need to do some updating on our transportation needs here at church, and so we're going to work on that uh, this coming year, and this is going to help us do that. So uh, you can pick those up in the lobby. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, we're in this season of Advent. As Pastor Matt uh, mentioned, that this is the second Sunday in the Advent season. Uh, Advent is the four weeks leading up to our celebration of the birth of Christ. And it's an opportunity uh, each year, essentially, for us to uh, think of what it must have been uh, for thousands of years for God's people to be looking forward to the arrival of the Messiah. And as we celebrate Advent, uh, this side... Of, uh, of history, we, we are looking back on the birth of Christ, but we are looking forward to the return of Christ. And so uh, the first advent of Jesus helps us to remember and to celebrate and long for the second advent, the second coming of Christ. That's what advent means. It means coming. And so this is a time of year where uh, we usually will set aside a a series, we'll walk through some scripture that deal with the birth of Christ. And so uh, last Lord's Day I started looking at Matthew. We're looking at it for four weeks, the four weeks of Advent, at the first two chapters. Uh, Last week we looked at the genealogy of Jesus and, and looked at how that, as we went through those names, we saw just over and over again pictures of the faithfulness of God. And as well in those names we saw Examples of the faithlessness of man. And yet we see how God works all things together for his good redemptive purposes. And we'll continue to see that today as we look at Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25 and look at Joseph's response to this announcement to the birth of Jesus Christ. And so out of reverence for God's word, if you're able to, if you would stand together as I read God's word for us this morning. And this is what the Holy Spirit says through Matthew and Matthew's Gospel, speaking of the birth of Jesus Christ, Matthew 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. you would pray with me father we thank you for christ we thank you for this advent season we thank you that we can look back and we can look forward with anticipation but lord between the first coming of christ and the second coming of christ we experience much pain much suffering much loss much grief things do not always go as we thought they would go And so Father, I pray as we look to Joseph's response to the events that take place here in this text, that that you might help us better understand how we are to respond when things don't go the way we thought they would, that you would help us to cling to the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I've shared many times that Christmas, this Advent season, is my favorite time of year. There's so many things about it, the, the focus obviously on the gospel, and then, then there's those kind of peripheral secular things that are, that are fun as well, all the events surrounding Christmas, all the Christmas movies that come on this time of year. I have a number of favorites, but I think the classic favorite in our home is It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, hopefully you've all seen It's a Wonderful Life. If you haven't, you have an opportunity to repent and go see it sometime soon. Um, Because it's a classic Christmas movie, it's this great story. Uh, For those of you who've seen it, you know it's this story about a man named George Bailey. And George, uh, the movie unfolds and shows his life and shows how as a young man, he had all these plans to be this adventurer, to go out and see the world, But, but through a series of events, he never gets to leave his hometown of Bedford Falls. In fact, he gets to a point in life where he's very frustrated, he's disappointed, He's disheartened. He feels like the world would have been better off without him. And he's about to jump off a bridge and take his life when his guardian angel, Clarence, shows up to save the day. And he walks George through a a series of things to show him that the world really is not a better place without him and show him that, after all, he had a wonderful life. It's a classic movie. It's a great movie. And I think one of the reasons that so many of us and enjoy that movie is because George Bailey is a fairly relatable character. I mean, here's a man who had all these plans for his life, but, but things did not work out the way he thought they would. And if we're honest, that, that is the story of our lives as well. See, the question really is not, is life going to go the way you planned? The question is, how are you and I going to respond when life doesn't go the way we planned. If you think about your life today and you look back 5, 10, 20 years ago, I think most of us would recognize that there are things that have happened, there are events that have unfolded, there are tragedies that have occurred. And we are not at all, most of us today, where we thought we we would be. This this is not how we thought things were going to work out. Life has a way of doing that. And so often in those times, we, we want answers. We, we ask God, why? And so often, we're, we're not sure the answer that is. But, but there is an answer God gives. An answer He gives in times of suffering, in times of loss, and times when life does not go as planned. George Bailey, of course, is a fictional character, but we know in real life with real people, things don't always work out like they thought they would. And we have a prime example of that as we come to Matthew chapter 1 and we come to Joseph's story and Joseph's response to the birth of Jesus Christ. We don't know a tremendous amount about Joseph, but the things we do know can help us understand that, that here's a man who likely had a plan and things did not go the way he thought they would. Of course, we see Joseph being used in a greater plan, the plan of God, and things went exactly as God intended But Joseph's part in that initially, he he didn't quite understand. He was very confused. He was very troubled. And so I think Joseph's response to the birth of Christ is a a good place for us to go in the Scripture. It's a good text for us to consider, especially because so many of us deal with things in life that that we weren't planning for, that, that, that we don't understand. And to look and see how he responded in hopes that we might better understand how we should respond. So we're going to start by looking at the text with point one there in your outline. The response, or the initial response we see, is that Joseph did not understand. Joseph did not understand what was taking place, and that starts there in verse eighteen, where the scripture tells us that Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Now, betrothal in the Jewish culture in this day was very different than modern day engagement. And so when we think of it that way, we kind of misunderstand some things that are happening here. For example, in our context today, when a couple becomes engaged, they have the intention there of marrying, but we hear about people breaking off engagements all the time. In fact, I had a conversation just this week. I was asking about someone uh, who had gotten engaged and uh, trying to figure out if they're still engaged and found out why they've been engaged and they broke the engagement and now they're engaged again. It's kind of that back-and-forth experience. I was in a doctor's office one day and I could overhear, they were talking to a young lady there who uh, the last time she was in, she was engaged and this time she's not engaged any longer. Engagement is something that, while most of them follow through in marriage, a lot of times in our culture they just break off engagements. That's not what betrothal was in the Jewish culture, especially in Joseph and Mary's day. You see, in betrothal, the bridegroom and the bride would come together in a formal ceremony in a legally binding way. They were, they were bound together much like we would think of man and wife today. They, they lived in many ways as husband and wife, but, but they didn't come together for a physical union. They didn't come together and live together. Those things would come after the actual marriage ceremony. But, but during this betrothal period, it, it was a very intent, very serious time when they were planning towards marriage, and legally they were bound together. That's why we see here in this passage, just during this betrothal time, that Joseph is called Mary's husband in verse 19. Mary's called Joseph's wife in verse 20. And so the the plan, as best we can see it here, for Joseph is he has found a wife, he is now betrothed, he's probably making plans for what his life is going to look like. And we know, for example, from the Gospels that Joseph was a carpenter. He probably was looking at Mary and thinking about their life together and how they would raise a family and how uh, their children would enter into this family trade, especially if they were to have sons, and how He would teach them to be carpenters as well. Joseph probably had many plans for he and Mary and their family. But those plans were disrupted when we see what happens here following in the text. Verse 18 tells us, Before they came together, so before they were legally then married, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. You talk about a a disruption here. And we know from the other Gospels that that Mary at this point, she understood what was taking place because she she had received her, her word from God. She had received her angelic vision. She had an understanding of what her part in this gospel story was. But all Joseph knows is what Mary is telling him at this point. All Joseph knows is that this was the young woman who is bound together and betrothed to, and it appears she's been unfaithful. It appears that she's kind of come up with a a story to cover up this unfaithfulness. He certainly doesn't respond initially with accepting what it is she's saying. I think Joseph probably is very confused. And Joseph doesn't understand the things that are taking place. But there's some things about Joseph that we learn in this passage that help us to understand how he responds in his lack of understanding. For example, look at verse 19 we read that Joseph was a just man. That word in the Greek, just, is the same word used for righteous. Joseph was a righteous man. When you read the Bible cover to cover, you find that that that, that phrase, a a righteous man, it it is reserved for a limited few in the Scripture. For example, we see in the Old Testament, that's the reference of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Noah sought to do the right thing. Noah feared God and sought to obey God in a day and age where no one else did. You look forward to the New Testament, you see that that's a, a phrase, a title used of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was referred to as a, as a righteous man. He, he sought to do the right thing. He sought to do the fair thing. He, he feared God and he obeyed God. And just a handful of others in the Scripture ha- have that title, a righteous man. And Joseph is one of them. And so we know just from that title that that, that Joseph wanted to do the right thing. That Joseph wanted to do the thing that would uh, be obedient to God. I believe that Joseph loved Mary and cared for Mary. But based on what Joseph could see in front of him, Mary had been unfaithful. And the consequence of that unfaithfulness at a minimum was he could no longer marry her. And so the Scripture tells us that the right thing he thought to do at this time was to divorce her. You see, betrothal was a legally binding contract. The only way a couple could become unbetrothed was to legally divorce. And this is what Joseph feels is the right thing to do. But notice the way he's going about it. Verse 19 tells us that Joseph was unwilling to put her to shame. He didn't want to make her a public spectacle. Now this goes back to God's law in Deuteronomy 22. There in Deuteronomy 22 in the law, you find the instruction pertaining to situations like this one. If a couple were betrothed, and specifically the bride was found to be unfaithful, then the script, the law said that you would take her and the person she was unfaithful with, and you would bring them there in front of people, and you would stone them to death unfaithfulness had a serious consequence that came with it. But here we see it seems Joseph's intention is not to do that. He doesn't want to put her to shame. I don't think he wants Mary to die. And so it says he's seeking to divorce her quietly. So even though they're not fully married yet, to break this betrothal, they would have to be divorced. And the Scripture says that Joseph resolved to do this. That that word means that Joseph made up his mind. That he came to a decision. That based on what he saw in front of him and the information he had, he thought that this is what I have to do. But notice what else Joseph did as you continue there in verse 20. The Scripture says that he considered these things. I think we often overlook that part in this passage. I think we often go from Joseph was intent to divorce Mary, to do it quietly, but then he had this angelic revelation, and God changed his mind. But between those two things, notice what the Scripture says, he considered these things. What that means is that Joseph didn't understand. He had a plan based on his lack of understanding, but before he acted on that plan, he went before the Lord with it. Again, we know Joseph was a righteous man. That means Joseph would have grown up with the teaching that that you go before the Lord with things. That you don't just go out there and act of your own initiative. that, That you don't be wise in your own eyes. Joseph would have known the words of Solomon in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. and Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. And so I think what Joseph likely did here is he knew passages like that and knew other passages. And as best he could see, he didn't understand. He didn't want to lean on his own understanding. He had an idea of what needed to take place. But I believe here, Joseph likely went before the Lord with this. And Joseph likely pleaded with the Lord because Joseph just didn't understand. I think it's good for us to consider these things in light of how we respond at times when we don't understand. How do we respond when life takes a different turn? How do we respond when the people around us make bad decisions and walk away from the Lord and disobey God? How do we respond when we're faced with illness and sickness that we never imagined was coming our way? How do we respond when we get the results of that scan or that test? How do we respond when we get that phone call? How do we respond when rather than walking out of that hospital with our new baby boy and girl, we're we're on the way to a children's hospital not knowing if they're going to live or die? How do we respond when the bottom just falls out? Again, the, the question is not will these things happen to us? The question is, how will we respond when they do? But friends, if you've not gone through crisis and suffering yet in your life, you will. The Scripture promises us trial. And the question is, how are we going to respond when it hits? Because for so many of us, when it does hit, our first response is to try to fix it. Our first response is, well, what can we do with our hands? How can we get our hands around it? How can we just fix this? We'll ask questions like, well, just show me what to do. We want to act. And we see here in Joseph, someone who resolves, he makes a decision, but he doesn't act. Rather, he goes to the Lord. You see, in times of crisis, what we see in the Scripture, what we see in life time and time again, is when a crisis hits, we will either run to the Lord or we will run from the Lord. That there are people you know that once sat in these pews. That there are people you know who once sat in the pew of another church and today they want nothing to do with the Lord. Because crisis hit. Because they endured suffering. Suffering. And because things did not work out the way they thought they would. And so their response to that is, well, God, if this is the way you're going to treat me, then I'm done with you. See, in crisis, that's our temptation. is to run the other way. Or, we can do what I believe Joseph did here. We can do what God's Word calls us to do. And that's when the crisis hits. In our lack of understanding, without all the answers, we just pour our hearts out before the Lord, and we cling to the cross of Jesus Christ. I believe that's what God's Word calls us to do. I believe here Joseph ran to God, and so notice what happens next in verse 20 there. Point 2 there in your outline. God revealed the truth to Joseph. And so I think Joseph here is pleading with the Lord. He's considering these things. And so, so God answers him. The Scripture tells us that, that He gives him a dream. He goes to sleep, and he has this angelic revelation in his dream. And in this revelation, he is learning about the things he didn't understand or perhaps the things he wasn't considering. For example, it starts out by showing us that the angel reminds Joseph of his Messianic lineage. He calls him a son of David. You may remember last week we were talking about this in the genealogy, how important it was that the Messiah would come from the house of Abraham and from the house of David. And so... That this angelic revelation, the Lord's reminding Joseph about his part in salvation history. He's reminding him that he comes from the house of David. And Joseph knows that's where the Messiah would come from. He goes on to share the truth with Joseph about Mary's pregnancy. That this was no far-fetched tale that this was no contrived story to cover up unfaithfulness. No, this was indeed true. She had not been unfaithful. She could remain His wife. This was indeed the result of the Holy Spirit. And He shares with Joseph the truth about the Messiah's coming. But how the Messiah would not inherit Adam's sin nature because biologically Joseph would not be his father. He would be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he truly could be Jesus, Yeshua, the one who would save the people from their sins. See, friends, that is the point of Advent that that is the point of the gospel and the coming of Christ as we look at these christmas cards as we see these nativity displays we have to remember this this baby in a manger grew to be a man who went to the cross and he did that to save us from our sins jesus didn't come just to be some good moral example that we might be better people He didn't come to show us what it meant to be an ultimate giver so that we might be more benevolent. Jesus was born so that you and I could be born again. That's the message of the manger. That's the message of the cross. The mission of Christ is clear in the name here. He will save His people from their sins. Matthew reminds us that all this is taking place to fulfill the prophecy. He quotes here from Isaiah 7.14, which is just one of 200 prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah that we see Jesus clearly fulfill. He tells Joseph, he tells us, that Jesus would indeed be Emmanuel. He would be God with us. So just imagine for a moment what Joseph is going through here. Here is the woman he is engaged to, he's betrothed to, he's committed to, he's legally bound to, and it appears that she's been unfaithful. She tells him that the baby is from the Holy Spirit. This doesn't make sense to him. He doesn't understand these things. The law calls him to publicly shame her. She can even be killed for this. But in the midst of these things, Joseph being a just man, being a righteous man, he goes before the Lord. He pours out his heart before the Lord. And God gives him this angelic revelation. But the question at this point then is, what is Joseph to do? (laughs) I mean, think about it. Joseph receives this word in a dream. Now, I'm not going to ask you to come up here and give testimonies, but think about some of the stuff you've dreamed about. (laughs) I remember having a conversation one day with my wife, and I was trying to explain a dream I had, and I couldn't even explain what it was. It was so bizarre. (laughs) And I started thinking, well, that's not... That? I mean, sometimes our dreams are so... They're just they're all over the place. But, but here, God had done something unique with Joseph where there's this very clear angelic revelation in this dream. But certainly, Joseph may have woken up and thought, wait, 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 what was that? If not that, consider this. Joseph certainly would have thought about what was going to happen next and the consequence of it. And we know that Joseph doesn't divorce Mary. We know that Joseph stays with Mary. We know that Joseph raises Jesus along with Mary. But certainly, as Joseph wakes from the stream, he's thinking, now what will others think? I mean, what did Joseph think initially? He thought Mary had been unfaithful. So what would others think? They would think, well, the reason Joseph's staying with Mary is because he's the one who sinned with her. Perhaps Joseph thought about how They would recall how he was from the house of David. They would recall the sins of David. Perhaps Joseph thought they would look at him and say, yeah, like father, like son. Well, the sin of the house of David comes down to Joseph. Because here he is trying to cover his sin, just like David tried to cover his. Joseph may have even considered that by law, he and Mary could both be stoned to death for their perceived sin. All of these things, I believe, were likely running through Joseph's mind. He probably still didn't fully understand, but the Scripture tells us clearly how he responded. And that's the third point there in our outline. We see that Joseph obeyed God. Joseph obeyed God. We'll look there to verse 24. And we see very clearly that as soon as Joseph wakes up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife. And so we see here God reveals the truth to Joseph and immediately Joseph obeys the truth. This would be one of three times in the first two chapters in Matthew's Gospel where this would take place. Where God would tell Joseph to do something and His immediate response would be obedience. He says, stay with Mary, take her as your wife, raise Jesus as your son, and Joseph obeys. He'll go on to tell Joseph Joseph to flee to Egypt before Herod kills the children. To leave behind everything he has, everything he knows, and to go off to a foreign land. Joseph obeys. Then there'll come that point when he's in Egypt where Herod is dead and God will tell Joseph, okay, I want you to go home now. I want you to return to Israel. So everything Joseph had built back up when he starts from nothing in Egypt, he's going to leave that behind and he's going to go back to Israel. Scripture says Joseph obeys. In fact, what you see consistently with Joseph is that his response to the revelation of God's Word is always obedience. That's Joseph's response to the birth of Christ. The question for him, what is your response? What is my response going to be to the birth of Christ? See, Joseph didn't understand what was going on initially. He didn't understand why this was happening. And God's answer to him was essentially this. I am sending you my son, Emmanuel. I am sending you my presence. I will be with you, Joseph. That was God's response to Joseph's prayer. For you and I today, there are times when we don't understand. There are times when life does not turn out the way we thought it would turn out. There are times we beg and we plead before the Lord. And we want really specific answers. And there's times when those specific answers just don't come. But I believe God's answer to us is the same answer He gave to Joseph. And His answer is this. I have sent My Son. I have sent My presence. Emmanuel, I am with you. Friends, you realize Matthew's Gospel begins and ends the same way. In Matthew's Gospel, it starts with his pronouncement of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew's Gospel ends with the words of Jesus Himself who promises He will be with us to the end of the age. We may not get every answer we want, but friends, that is the answer we need. Christ has not abandoned you. Christ has not forgotten you. And your time of suffering and your pleading and your time of not understanding, God may not give you all the answers, but He has given us all the greatest gift anyone could ever be given in the life and the resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God is with us. There may be nobody else on this earth who understands what you have gone through, but there is One who reigns supreme, who knows it, better than you do. And His name is Jesus. And the reminder to us this Advent season is that our trust and our hope can only be in Him. People will fail us. Loved ones will disappoint us. Life will turn out radically different than we thought it would. But Jesus makes this promise, friend. He says, I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. Jesus is the greatest friend we can ever have. That's what the scripture says of him. You think back to where I started in this sermon, that, that, that movie, It's a Wonderful Life. If you've seen it, you know the way it ends. Everybody's kind of gathered there at the Bailey home and, and George has realized what a wonderful life he has because he, he's blessed with so many friends. In fact, the movie ends with him opening up a book that he received from his guardian angel, with an inscription on there that to remind George, listen: if you've got friends, you've got everything. But we know that's not fully true, is it? Scripture says that there's a friend that's greater than any friend, and that friend is Christ. And friends, if you have him, then you certainly have everything. If you don't have him, eternally. You don't have anything. Jesus invites us into this relationship with Him. He invites us to be His friend very clearly in John chapter 15, verse 14, where He says, You are my friends if you do what I commanded you to do. And so our call is Joseph's call. God has made His Word clear. God has called us to repentance and called us to faith. Friend, will you obey Christ this Lord's day? God's Word is clear about so many areas of our life, but so often we tend to avoid His Word, avoid His people, avoid the truth, because we don't want the Word of God. We don't want to be told that what we're doing, what we're we're enjoying, I mean, after all, sin's enjoyable. That's why we do it. We don't want to be told to pull away from that. Get away from that. Friends, God's Word calls us to repent and to trust in Christ. And Jesus Himself says it very clearly. You cannot be a friend of Christ if you're not obedient to Christ. So call for us this Lord's Day is to live a life of obedience, understanding that we will fail, but trusting in the One who never did, Christ Jesus. call this Lord's Day is not to demand of God all the answers to all the questions, but to focus on the greatest gift and greatest answer He's ever given us, Emmanuel, God with us if you would stand together and pray with me as we thank God for His Word and as we come into this time of response. Father, I don't know the pain, the worry, the fears, the anxieties, the doubts, the trials, the frustrations of every person in this room. But Lord, You know them very clearly. In fact, You tell us in Your Word, You, you know them better than we know them. You, you tell us that while we might lean on our own understanding, we might lean on our own heart. We, we have that mantra in our world of, of following our heart. You warn us in Your Word to abandon that, to flee from our desires because so often they lead to death. You tell us in Proverbs, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. And so Father, I pray that You would expose to our rebellious hearts today those ways that we have rebelled against you those ways that we're not obeying you i pray as well lord for those who are suffering for those who are in the midst of trials now perhaps have been suffering for a long time perhaps are just beginning to suffer lord that you would show them peace and comfort through your word that you're with us that you've not left us you've not abandoned us I pray that we'd be reminded in this Advent season, every, every time we see that nativity picture, every time we see those Christmas cards, every time we, we hear those familiar hymns and songs like the ones we've sang today, I pray we would hear resoundingly over and over and over again the promise of Your Word, Christ will never leave us, Christ will never forsake us. Pay pray You'll remind us, Lord, that as we repent and trust in You that, that Christ is our friend that He has made peace between you and us through His death on the cross. Father, help us today to trust in You. Help us today to place our hope in You. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen.